time we meet together on Sunday that you've kind of picked up now. We have some Old Testament readings and we also have some New Testament readings, one of which is always a gospel reading. And so you may have noticed we kind of skipped over that in our responsive readings earlier. We are now going to be reading our gospel reading. And this comes from Matthew chapter 3. If you'll join me there. Uh, we, uh, as, as Justin said last week, we're actually in uh, Matthew for this year, this liturgical year. So you'll be hearing a lot from, from St. Matthew. Notice these words here, very powerful words. I pray that you hear them by the power of the Spirit as he intended. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for this reading of your word. We pray you would bless it to our hearts. May we truly hear. May we truly see what you have for us this morning. We pray in your most holy name. Amen. As we travel to Bethlehem, we're bound to get sore waiting, traveling, and carrying the loads that we carry. Just as Mary and Joseph did many years ago on their way to Bethlehem. Now, thankfully, I don't know anybody that's nine months pregnant. Some are close. Maybe. I know one. 
But here's Mary, close to giving birth, having to travel on a donkey. Can you imagine? Some of you can imagine more so than others, right? Half the population here, maybe. And I can imagine that it would be a sore ride. I know that uh, just being pregnant in general can make one sore, at least so I've seen in my own wife, over five children. Mary, I'm sure, was sore from the journey, and part of Advent is going to be journeying to Bethlehem, just as they did. Journeying, waiting, traveling, carrying loads, and it's bound to make us sore. Most people think of Advent as a time just of nostalgia, maybe even of Christmas time. Some people don't even like it. They don't like Christmas. They don't like anything about it. And it always befuddles me for a Christian to say such a thing. Because I'm afraid that we've traded out the world's definition of Christmas for God's. And we've lost the true meaning of this season and of Christmas for the sake of consumerism and busyness. And it must not be so, brothers and sisters. It must not be so. A Christian is excited about Christ. I don't know how we can't sing the songs that we sing that are Christmas songs about God becoming human and not get excited about that if in fact you've been saved by that human. It makes no sense to me. It is beyond me unless, unless we have traded again the true meaning for something weak. And faults. What I'm saying to you is what I said last week, and that is don't allow the world to define Christmas time for you, for us. We're not. Christmas is not over on Christmas Day. It may be over at your house, but Christmas has 12 days of celebration of his coming. And we we are bound to celebrate all 12 days. That's going to lead us right into the new year, actually. So the last Sunday of Christmas is the first day of our new year when in fact we've already celebrated the church new year, haven't we? The first Sunday of Advent. So I'm just simply saying don't allow the world to define this thing for you, but rather Christ. Now, this passage almost doesn't seem to fit in Advent, does it? With all the nice stuff at Advent, people getting new toys and clothes and dressing up and all the nice decorations that we have. This text here about John the Baptist just sort of punches you in the face. Dead legs you. In in middle school, I always worried about getting dead legged. I don't know about, maybe I was just a pipsqueak or something, but I had these guys that would come up and just boom, right here on the... Oh, you walk around like this rest of the day. This text here hurts. And it's meant to. Because in order to have the good news, we've got to have the bad news. There is no good news if there is no bad news. And the bad news is really bad. <laughs> and it comes from a preacher that was really odd. Notice here, John the Baptist is not your run-of-the-mill guy. 
He was uh, considered by some to be sort of an oddball. He, he has here, uh, he wears what he wears, coat of camel's hair. That wasn't in back then. That wasn't cool. Um, he got a leather belt around his waist, which reminds us of Elijah. Elisha. And he's eating locusts and wild honey. Again, not a typical diet for most in the first century, especially the Romans who were feasting. It's all about the feasting in the Roman world at this time, if you know your Roman history. Um, the more, the merry. And here is a guy who's in the wilderness in a harsh environment, wearing harsh sort of clothes with a harsh message. In other words, when it says that the voice of one crying in the wilderness, literally screaming at the top of his lungs. So imagine oddly dressed in an odd setting in the wilderness. You freak, right? And yet, notice what is said about him. Everyone in Jerusalem and Judea and all the region were going out to him. Now, you can say that's hyperbole, right? Well, everybody's coming out to him. You can say, well, you know, just interpret that as hyperbole. Like, he's just, you know, meaning a lot of people. Maybe so. But maybe everyone truly was going out to see this guy. He was a firebrand when so many others were doused in water. Waterlogged. And so, his message is one that is tough to swallow like a medicine that we know is good for us and yet is difficult to handle. It says, in those days, which in those days there was a lot of waiting going on. You know anything about, again, the Roman context, the Jews context? They were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for one to deliver them from Roman oppression. You think our government's bad and corrupt? Welcome to Rome. Just go read up on that a little bit. You'll be very thankful of of most of our context in the world. And so they waited for a Messiah. They waited and waited and waited. And maybe for you, you've been waiting on a promise of God. Maybe for you, you sit here today and you're like, why has God not answered my prayer? I mean, these people, I am sure, fervently were praying against Roman oppression, atrocities. Because there were many. And in their mind, this was a prayer that God should answer. In other words, this is good. And a lot of times in our praying, isn't it? We convince God, God, this is good. I don't don't know why you wouldn't do this. And yet, and yet they wait. And yet we wait. There was some significance about being in the wilderness. The children of Israel found their stuff there before, right? Good things and bad things happen in the wilderness. And the wilderness is no place for the weak of heart. I was there this week in the wilderness area. 
in Tennessee near Chattanooga, hiking along with little people. And I was a nervous wreck. Normally when I go to the woods, I'm not a nervous wreck. But with little people on the edge of cliffs and bluffs, I was a nervous wreck. As they're running around and scurrying around, trying to protect them from all the dangers of being in the wilderness. And God's people find themselves in the wilderness quite a lot. They don't really feel at home. And sometimes they wander. Maybe you find yourself in a wilderness today. I don't know your heart. I don't know your context. If we were able to look, we are, we're able to look at John the Baptist, his description. What if you were on the page? Where would you be? What's your message? Are you in the wilderness? Sometimes it's a place of retreat, as Jesus did. But it's also a place of temptation. It's a temptation to not wait. It is a temptation to take it for yourself. Just as Eve did. Not to receive. But to take. Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. And the temptation, there were three, were powerful. Without going into them, Jesus refuses to take the easy route. He refuses to reach out and grab it for himself, but keeps open hands and open heart to God. Just as when we receive communion, it's not a matter of just grabbing and taking for ourselves and securing our own salvation, but of receiving which is why we come with open hands. John's message is pretty short, but sometimes things that are said quickly can be the most powerful thing. You say, I wish you'd take that on for your own advice, buddy. You know? <laughs> Get a rather lengthy sometime, huh? <clears throat> Here's his message, and it's actually the message that Jesus will pick up and begin preaching when he begins his ministry. The exact same words. Exact same words. It's this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means to turn. And to turn, we must. At Christmas time... During Advent, it is a time of turning. Notice the colors here. Just take it in with your eyeballs. It's purple. If you're colorblind, it's purple. I don't know if that gets messed up in colorblind or not. You say purple represents royalty. Yes, it does. But notice that when we get, when we get to Lent... In the springtime, we'll also bring out the purple again. There, it doesn't just mean royalty, but suffering. Because truly, when they put, more than likely, the purple sash upon Christ and hit Him in the face and spit on His body, they were mocking Him. 
saying he was royalty and making him suffer. So Advent may not have been on your radar as a time to remember suffering, but it is. There is no resurrection life without a death. And the death must be the death of self. That's at the center of who we are. That's that thing that gets cranked up when somebody crosses us. It's the thing that wants to lash out at those that would oppress us. Or talk about us. Or offend us. That self must die. And be replaced with the Holy Spirit and new life. I wonder if we could just still hear John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, he doesn't just stop there. You get a description in 4 through uh, 6 of him and of the people's response, which is to go out to him and confess their sins. It's kind of like a sore place in your mouth. I don't know about you, but you get like this sore place in your mouth, and your tongue just simply won't leave it alone. You're like, stop it! And they won't, or it won't, sorry, they, I don't think I have two tongues here, but you know, I, I told you a few Advents back, I actually think it was uh, three years ago, um, I got this sore place in the very back top of my, of my teeth. My tongue just kept tonguing it, you know, gumming it, hurt, just was sore. All of a sudden, a small tooth emerged. I'm in my 30s. And a tooth, I got a tooth coming in. I got a kid with a tooth coming in. I got a tooth coming in. So I go to the dentist, you know, of course, for my checkup. And say, hey, what's going on here with this tooth? Well, you had a, whiz, a piece of a wisdom tooth. See, I don't even get the full thing, you know what I mean? I got shortchanged. You got a piece of a wisdom tooth that's coming in sideways. Oh, that's fantastic, you know. Well, it's still there. Right, like right now, it's still there. Um, it came in, it settled, and now it's stopped, and it's still there. But you know what? I tell Justin this all the time. I literally rub my tongue raw, especially on trips where I don't have anything else to do. Just touching that thing. My tongue won't leave it alone. I think that's kind of the way they felt. Here's this crazy man out there screaming at them. Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand. The top of his lungs. Out in the desert with some crazy coat on. Sucking down honey that he found out in the wilderness. Popping locusts. Not even chocolate covered. And they come to see him. And they come to see him. And they come over and over again to hear him preach. And I think the reason why is because they see something real in that man. So many times we're all fake, all buttoned up, all dressed up, dolled up at work, 
and at home, and we're not even real with each other. And here they see a man that is real and raw out in the wilderness. And they go to watch him burn. Burn with a passion for God. Burn with a passion for people. And it had been so long since they truly heard a prophet speak that now, even though it hurt, they kept coming back for more. And they were confessing their sins and being baptized. Now, confession's a tough thing, let me just tell you. Jessica helps me with this ever so often. I hate to hear the word sometimes when she says, Honey, I don't think you should have done that. Oh. She doesn't say it much, but when she does, it's spot on, about 100% correct. And I got to go back and make amends. At youth camp this past year, something similar happened where I had to confess. The boys there, you know, I tried to stay away from you know, a, lot of the, a lot of the mix of being in a stinky boys' room, you know. Uh, I mean, I spent five years in a dorm room, so I know all about that. I've had enough of that. Plus, I have four boys of my own in the house. I pretty much know what that's like. So I tried to just stay alone, you know. But one night they said, hey, Marshall, you got to come and play dodgeball with us, man. We're just rocking it out. It's so fun. I'm like, man, I'll tear y'all up at dodgeball. Y'all don't even want me out here. Like, man, you old, dude. You can't play no dodgeball. like, all right, all right. You're asking for it. So I go out there. I, I get it arranged where we can actually go late at night, which they, they appreciate that. So we got, everybody goes to bed. We go to the gym, 1130, something like that. And to play dodgeball. I hadn't played dodgeball in years. I can't even tell you the last time I played dodgeball. Except for this past summer. There was this little guy that was there. He was a small guy. Barely kind of making the, making the age range to be there or not. And we started, I mean, we're, I got out there and they were serious about dodgeball. Let me just tell you. Those balls were humming. And not only that, they're playing with volleyballs. You ever hit a volleyball? I mean, it's not a bouncy ball. This thing just knocks you in the head and you, you're done for the night. And so I'm like, wow, this is intense, guys. You know, and so we start zinging them across there. And whew, I mean, you got to really pay. So I'm getting into it. I'm getting, you know, when I get into something, I get really get into it. And my adrenaline's pumping. I'm just, I'm focused. And I mean, I just rear back. And me and this guy had this thing where, where he would step up and I would come right over his shoulder and throw so they couldn't even see it coming, you know. And this poor kid that was, that was really not old enough to be there, but his dad was there. So we let him come. He he's, he's got out. So he's kind of walking, moping across the, the gaming field. And I mean, that ball just, I, I, I swear it curved, okay? I didn't mean to hit the guy. Hit him right in the side of the head. And he went down. He's crying. His face is swelling. I feel awful. You know I mean? Like, man, I'm so sorry. Because I know the guy, too. I know the guy and his dad. I'm like, man, I'm so sorry, bro. You know, can you just come over here and sit, get some water. You know, I was hoping he wasn't going to pass out. Like he was going to pass out. Anyway, fast forward 15 more minutes. He gets back out there on the playing field. And, and I, we're zinging it. We're winning. I mean, we're, we're actually, we're losing. But we're winning this game. We're about to come back. And I mean, I sailed one as hard as I possibly could. And that kid steps out in front of somebody. And it hits him right in the eyeball. It's a wonder he has an eye today. I'm not kidding. It was so hard and so fast. And my stomach just sank immediately. And his dad screams. And he says, who did that? We got it. You can't do that. Because, I mean, this is his son. I would have done the same thing. And I mean, I'm like, <clears throat> see you night, guys. See, good night. Uh, see y'all later. And I have, and, and it's that moment where you have to speak up, you have to confess. And I said, I said, Dwayne, man, uh, 
bro, that was me, man. I, was, I, I hit your son. I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I did that my, for the next 30 minutes. I, I said, I'm out, guys. I'm quit. I'm not doing this anymore. Told y'all I shouldn't have come, and here I came and messed everybody up. But I had to confess. It's tough to confess. It's embarrassing to confess. But the only way to repent is to say it out loud. Confess your sins. The scripture will even go further in the New Testament to say this. Confess your sins one to another. This is where groups come in. Accountability groups, small groups, one-on-ones. We were never meant to live the Christian life alone. And yet, so many do. So many think their Christian fix, their Christian injection for the week is coming to Sunday service. It is not. Being part of the community is being part of the community. At Harvest Point, we're not seeking a title. Running back, quarterback. You don't show up, you're not the quarterback. You're not the running back. (laughs) John the Baptist says this. He says, look, God can raise up children from stones for Abraham. Don't even try to crutch that out. Don't even say you've been going to church or something like that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sin living in your heart and being undealt with. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about claiming to be a Christian and bearing no fruit in the kingdom. That's fine to come to church and do nothing. If you don't want to be a Christian. In other words, we invite everybody to come to church. Anybody can walk through these doors, Christian or not. But for you Christians, as your pastor, relaying something from the commander, we are not saved to sit. Told you it's going to make you sore. Traveling toward Bethlehem will make you sore. John the Baptist's message is strong, but it needs to be said. Membership is not a title, but it's a position, like being on a team. Like the running back. You must play to be the running back. You don't just gain a title. What is a title? It's a position to play on the team. If you don't play, how are you in position? At Harvest Point, we don't envision members that just have some kind of title attached to their name. But rather are living out the faith each and every week. You're not going to be able to throw the title in God's face when you get to heaven. Oh, no, I said I was a Christian, God. Don't you remember? Jesus says this. There will be many who say, Lord, Lord. Didn't you see what I did? Look what I did at the church. Look what I did here. I even did miracles in your name. 
preached in your name. And he'll look at them square in the face, just as I'm looking you in the face, and he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. He said, Marshall, 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 chill out. Chill out. It's Advent, bro. Happy, joyful. I'm saying in order to be happy, in order to be joyful, we got to be doing the right thing. You're not doing the right thing. You can conjure up whatever feelings you want to feel and end up in hell. I don't want that. As your pastor, as your friend, I don't want that. And neither does Jesus. Neither does John the Baptist. I'm not going to scream to the top of my lungs today, but he did. And he is. And if we could talk to him today, John the Baptist, can't you wait to meet that guy? Yeah, there's a couple people in the Bible I really want to meet. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be like, hey, hey, yeah, I know. I want to meet you too, but hang on now. I got to go see this guy. Here's what John says. He says, the axe is at the root. It's the axe of Advent. All of a sudden, in our readings, we find an axe. We find a woodsman on the hunt for trees that don't bear fruit. Who is this axeman? What is this axe? If we read in Isaiah, chapter 11, which we already did, and you back it up one chapter to ten, you learn who the axeman is. You learn who this woodsman is who's starting a campaign of deforestation. Shall the axe vaunt itself over him who hews it? Or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? As if a rod should wield him who lifts it. Or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. Therefore the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors. And under his glory a burning will be kindled. Like the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame. And in it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. Notice. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land. The Lord will destroy both soul and body. And it will be as when a sick man Waste away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. The axe is at the root, and who's wielding the axe is Christ. You say, I thought he was all about love, man. We're talking about chopping me down. 
chopping his own people down. Do you not catch in our readings that Jesus comes from the stump of Jesse? Not the tree. The st- why? Because he chopped it down. Why? Because it got proud and haughty. This is a turn or burn message, isn't it? But um, literally, John the Baptist says, "Turn, or you will be chopped down and thrown into the fire." Look, this lectionary reading's been in play for years and ever since the Protestant Reformation. I didn't make it up. I didn't write these words. I may not even like these words with you. I wish it was all unicorns in a field skipping with hands held, with rainbows. But before we get there, we got to be chopped down so new life can come. Because you cannot receive the love of God with a stony heart. Your heart must be broken. If you've never been chopped down by God, he's got his axe. And he's looking for trees who are not bearing fruit. You ever been in a crowd and all of a sudden somebody's looking for a certain kind of person? You kind of like shrink down. You don't want to be the tall guy, right? Oh, there he is right there. No, no. Our position is not to be tall and proud, but to bow before the king. You're tall and proud? The woodsman is coming with his axe, and he will chop you down to size. You are not God. You do need other people, whether you feel like it or not. You need the body of Christ. You need his salvation. I need his salvation every single day. I need accountability in my life. I need someone to be able to confess my sins to them to keep me down to size. Are you willing to bow your knee today to the king? Just as the wise men did just as the shepherds did. Don't you want to be wise and lowly? Those are the ones seeking Jesus. Many of you will say, though, oh, but I'm okay. I'm okay. But okay is not what Jesus wants. He wants you to live, listen to this, friends, abundantly. And as your pastor, I know many of you, I know you well, I know your spouse, I know your kids, I know you, and yet I don't know you. I don't know your heart. And Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. 
I mean, many of you to me, I mean, I'd say, all right, yeah, welcome into heaven, big guy. You're doing well. Y'all are doing great. But what's really in your heart? The only way to rid yourself of that awful disease of self is to die to self and live to God. To turn from your wickedness. Turn from your evil ways and turn to God. Turn to the cross. Turn to His passion. His suffering. And allow Him to chop us down. So that he can raise us up to new life. Jesus became a baby, a helpless, stinking baby. Can you imagine? A baby, helpless, needing others, stinking, needing to be cleaned. Isn't that what we need? We need others. You need to force yourself to put other people in your life. And you need to allow God to clean you up. Are you willing to become helpless? Are you willing to become clean? Babies will fight you tooth and nail, won't they? No, I'm not dirty. Well, boy, something's going on here because I smell something. I got a real nose for that kind of stuff, by the way. If you ever need to know without looking, I can do that for you. Just as breast babies feel like, smell like popcorn, I'm like, that's some messed up popcorn then. We stink, really. Self stinks, really. But God can clean us up, can he? The good news, my friend, is the one that's wielding the axe is the very one who comes from a stump. And he can bring new life from our brokenness. New life to ourself. And he must. Would you confess your sins? Would you repent and believe? If you do... There's new life waiting. If you do, you can be called the friend of God. He doesn't have to be your enemy, but your friend. He's cleaning up. The conclusion of John's message, he's cleaning up. He's got his winnowing fork, and he's cleaning house. Are you weighty enough to fall back down to the ground like wheat should? Or you, like chaff, will you be blown away and burned up in the fire? The good news is, he can make us holy. He can save us. He can make us holy. We have either the chance of being falling back down because of the weight of glory, or like chaff, being blown away. It goes back to Psalm 1, doesn't it? Psalm 1. Chaff or a tree? A tree of righteousness. Friends, today we're going to confess and repent. I pray it comes from your heart. Believe in Jesus. He's the only one who can save. Amen.